0: Relatively geeky presents Doom Speak. Welcome to the third interim lockdown episode of Doom Speak in which we used to be observing and celebrating one of the most important runs in comicdom the issuance by Marvel Comics of a comic bearing the glorious name of Doctor Doom. But as you know the comics industry has gone on a Corona-fueled hiatus, and although Dr. Doom's return to the Spinner is still a few months away, we have a Latvian leader to celebrate. So in this episode, we'll be looking at Doom, The Emperor Returns, 1 through 3 from 2002. And thanks for this go out to Dr. Ange, from the award-winning Supergirl-themed blog Comic Box Commentary for sending me this mini-series a few years ago. But first, a little feedback. In a major oversight, which I'm pretty sure somehow, some way, is Shag's fault. I missed a bit of feedback last time about JL May, and what makes it worse is that it was from the brains behind the whole event, podcasting's Michael Bailey himself. I am so ashamed. Professor, first, thank you for the kind words about my organizing this year's JLMA. It was a fun challenge, and I applied the same managerial stylings that I do at work, give everyone the information they need, let them do their job, and check in from time to time to make sure everything is going okay. The only real difference is I couldn't write any of you up in a performance review. But if I did, they'd all be glowing. Aww, Mike. Anyway, listening to you and Shag talk about this series sparked an interesting thought. You both mentioned there were parts of the series that didn't need to be there seemed to be included because of the issue count, the comparison to classic Doctor Who serials, which were made up of running up and down corridors, came up. Well, when I reread this comic a couple of months ago, I didn't have the same feelings, and I was wondering where the disconnect was, and then it hit me. You and Shag were reading this for a podcast, and thus you were having to think more critically than I did. And that's true, Mike, and that is why I refer to the books that I read for podcast appearances, either here on the network or or as a guest. That's why I call them homework books. Mike says that he was reading it without having to dissect it. You would think I've been at this game long enough to have twigged to that earlier, but no. I have let myself down. Lesson learned. Thanks again for a great episode. Kudos for Shag for going the extra mile on research. And thanks to both of you for being a part of J.L. May this year, your friend, podcasting's Michael Bailey. Always good to hear from you, Mike, even if I cover the feedback far, far too late. And yes, consuming any sort of media for purposes of critique, that does in fact change the manner in which you consume the media. And that is a risk that all of us run. And we heard from groovy Mike Decker, who had some controversial thoughts. I planned to write you before, but was discouraged by some of my other attempts to contact the hosts of the podcasts I follow. Some of them make very entertaining and informative shows, but it seems that if you're not a fellow podcaster, they're not interested in hearing from you. Well, it's certainly not my place to speak for a large number of people, but I am sorry that that was your experience. And here at Relatively Geeky and our side project, Dorkness to Light, we do point out that all are welcome. Anyway, Groovy Mike continues, I wanted to thank you and Em for producing some of the best comics reviews I've ever heard. I always look forward to new episodes, even when it's about a comic I don't care about or an ironclad Latvian dictator whose politics I'm opposed to. Reed? Richards? Rocks? You know, Groovy Mike, you're really testing that all-are-welcome philosophy. Because it's so sad when someone who appears so bright and is such a good feedback writer like Groovy Mike, when someone like that has so clearly been brainwashed by what is being fed to them by hashtag BigComic and their allies in the media and the history books, it's a shame, Groovy Mike, because you always seem so groovy, you know? But this, I just don't know what to say. And on last episode specifically, where we covered supervillain team up, we heard from Doom himself reporting through the Twitter feed of the Empire Six, who put the whole situation into proper and sober perspective. No new issues of the ongoing, only because Doom demands it. He wants his faithful followers to stay safe, continue to keep your distance and wear a mask like Doom. Perhaps I will allow Marvel to resume telling tales of my magnificence if all submit to this decree. Now that seems reasonable. Chris Willett reported that he had the episode all queued up and ready to go. Michael Perkins reported that he recently read the whole run of Team Up. So much fun. Bill Manlow is such a great writer. I know, I know. Then Michael turned to a topic that generated a surprising bit of back and forth. Really wish the Shroud could have become more of a Moon Knight type figure in the Marvel Universe. Keck W. followed up, telling me not to diss the Shroud. Wow, I'm surprised I found two big fans of the Shroud. I mean, the two big fans of The Shroud. Mike Zomkowski complained about how expensive quarantine was becoming for him. I liked the Doom episodes so much, I bought the trades for his Pottersville stories. And now, it's Supervillain Team-Up, just doing my part to help the economy. Thank you, Mike. A grateful nation, thanks you. Ranger Gord. Nailed it in his response. I was horribly distressed to hear that this reject, ruddy-bone rapscallion had infiltrated the pristine boundaries of sacred Latveria. Bad enough to have the affalant Namor and the rest of those Doomvengers and Frantic Four floundering about the palatial kingdom, but now we must have this failed Stalag Thirteen miscreant Waving the participation trophies of his failed fascist phlegmatic furor in this publication seems more like Stan propaganda to prop up the all-sides-are-fine-people philosophy. Bah! There are no sides in Doomstadt. The fine angles of the armor of his Lord von Doom reveal no sides, and no labels shall stick upon his fine cloak finery. Hashtag big comic, once again fails in its agenda. It doesn't realize that in Latveria, there are no Russians, no Arabs, there is no West. Just one holistic system of systems. One interwoven, multi-Latverian dominion of doom. Marvel, you have tampered with the primal forces of Von Doom, and you will atone! Um, also, good podcast. Bye! Well, Gord. Good feedback. (laughs) Social media support for that episode also came from Billy D from Into the Weird, Karen from the Sweet Between the Pages blog, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Pop Culture Preacher, Nine Boxer Nine, Sir Sir Martin of Gray, Spy Vinyl, Chuck Daddy Sixty Four, Gene Hendricks from the Hammer Strikes, Sir Luke Jackanetty, Mike from Comics in the Golden Age, and our network Listeners of the Year, Countess Ruth and Count Darren of the Sutherlands. Thanks for all of that feedback, everybody. I am pleased by your response. And so is Doom! We'll be right back after this promo to talk about Doom, The Emperor Returns. If you wake up with the blues, trying to fill your day with news, there's one thing you must remember, no agenda in the morning. For a healthy, balanced news diet, try NoAgendaShow.com. In the morning. 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 and other monitoring systems. And systems. Special secret satellite systems. Moon bases. Caliphate! Thank Biden, and thank you for taking the time to listen. Adios, mofo. The best podcast in the universe! Dvorak.org slash N-A And we're back. Doom! The Emperor Returns was a three-part miniseries which were cover dated January, February, and March 2002 and all had cover prices of $2.50 meaning that when everyone's favorite comic book blogging physician, Dr. Ange, sent these to me, that represented a 100% markdown off that original retail price. We're going to run the synopses together as one long, epic tale of one lone Latvian leader battling to once again become emperor of all he surveys. Spoilers and then we'll discuss the whole storyline after that. All three of these issues were written by Chuck Dixon, with pencils by Leonardo Manco, and inks by Manco, with some help from Klaus Janssen and John Staniski. All of the covers are by Leonardo Manco, and colored by Jose Villarubio. The cover of Issue 1 shows Doom, arms crossed, looking out at us with a bit of lightning flashing in the background. And he is looking out at us awesomely. The cover is a great mix of green and black and red and blue. A very nice poster image. The Emperor returns, part one. Starts with Doom, monologuing. All the world has turned against me. Is this what I received in return for offering them a planet Doom at peace, overseen by my benevolence, I sometimes wonder why I bother. In a high tower overlooking a world at war, we see Doom speaking to his faithful aide, Lancer, who we met in Chuck Dixon's miniseries from a year before, just called Doom. Doom then gives us the historical context, and by historical I mean comic book historical. We learn that this is a follow-up to events stemming from the Marvel mega-crossovers Onslaught, Heroes Reborn, and Heroes Return. This world is not the place of my birth. It is a construct. A pale imitation of a planet sharing the same orbit on the opposite side of the sun. It is an imagining from the mind of a child. Franklin Richards, the son of my enemy. A bitter irony. Doom talks about his efforts to recreate this world in his image, only to be thwarted by lesser minds like S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Magia and Iron Man. I build a great army to conquer a planet, and then when victory is mine, they seek to unseat me. Lancer puts in a sardonic reply. No gratitude. The pair are staring at a number of screens, viewing and directing the battles. His people have run into a complication in the Deep Core. And Doom heads that way. What about the city's defenses? Lancer wants to know. That's why I have you. You possess the rarest of commodities, Lancer. My trust. At Deep Core, Doom learns of an anomaly. Anomaly that has interrupted his plan to access the radiation at the power's core. What the engineers have discovered is a geometric construct that would make Jack Kirby proud. The entire interior of the planet, covered with an artificial construction. Doom had an inkling. Planet Doom is artificial in every respect, and its brain lies here at the core. You see, this construct is a masterless brain, programmed with the task of keeping the illusion of Doom's adopted world alive. Masterless. Until today. But Doom finds that the brain has some defenses. And he gets walloped by them. All the while, Lancer is doing her best to keep the city safe, but the shield dreadnoughts have breached the outer defenses. The dome comes down. And while she wonders what crazy tangent Doom is pursuing, she will make her stand, a stand against the Iron Men. Back down in the planetary brain, Doom chats with, well, Franklin Richards, or some digital virtual version of him. And he is completely disrespectful of Doom. You are duty, he says upon appearing. Language child. Who were your parents, one wonders. Franklin sends a virtual being after Doom, telling him to have fun with Mr. Celestial. And as Doom is about to be eaten by said Celestial, Franklin tells him not to worry. It's my world. I do what I want, I make the rules. It's all pretend, anyway. But pretend or not, Lancer is trying to defend this place in doing her best. This is still Doom's city. And as she blasts and blasts, she asks the Iron Man if she's being too rough with them, and then adds a quip, you're lucky the doctor's not in. But a multi-limbed mega-machine knocks Lancer out of the sky. I've heard of you, Von Doom's super-powered lady friend. I should introduce myself. My name is General, Otto, Octavius. But as he and the Ironmen gloat over their victory, they see an energy field sweeping towards them, destroying everything in its path. Is this the work of doom, they say, as they are wiped out? Spoilers. Yes, that was the work of doom. And here is how that came to be. And we get to the last section of the book, the last scene, a number of pages that take place with Doom and Richards, uh, Franklin Richards. Doom assures the child that he is not jesting when he says the world is in chaos. But Franklin wants to play with this world. Give me my ball back. Problem is that Franklin is a victim of his family's brainwashing. You're a bad man. My dad says so. And Uncle Ben says you're the baddest guy ever. Man, oh man. Where's Child Protective Services been? I mean, look, this is what happens when you hire Agatha Harkness as your primary daycare provider. This is inexcusable. Anyway, Doom convinces Franklin that he, Doom, will do a great job recreating the world And that, yes, there will even be ponies. And at this point, Franklin has a moment of blinding insight. You're not as bad as mom and dad said you were. Well, yeah, because their parenting style is lies, lies, and more lies. Doom absorbs the massive power from within the planet, taking it into himself. And after... The kid does get a bit too familiar saying, as they are riding up the elevator to the surface of the new and improved planet, I can't wait to see what you made, Mr. Doom. We are seconds from the surface. And I am called Dr. Doom. Again, this kid has no manners. No respect. This is what happens when a couple, or in this case, let's Just lay our cards on the table when a male has the ability to father a child, which, given the male we're talking about, is a bit surprising. Negative zone energy happening there. But anyway, this is what happens when a male exercises that ability without being responsible without being prepared to be a parent, a father. Mr. Doom. Mr. Doom. See, Franklin probably heard language like that growing up, and it's just not healthy. It's just not good. I, I'm sorry I'm so passionate about this, okay? let me Let me dial it back. Because... Doom and Franklin do arrive back on the surface, seeing the new world. And Franklin can only say, cool. And Doom says, incredible. This is planet Doom as it was ever meant to be. As the world would be under the stewardship of Victor Von Doom. This world is perfection. To be continued. The cover of Issue 2 shows Doom doing one of the things Doom does best. Loom! is looming over a series of armored warriors carrying Latverian banners and hailing Doom. The Emperor Returns Part 2 starts a few minutes before Issue 1 ends. With Doom absorbing all of that data, all the knowledge of a world, in seconds, it invaded my mind. The pain was exquisite. We then get a few pages of recap, ending with Franklin's avatar leading Doom out of the deep pit, having extracted the promise that the world would include ponies. And they look out at Doom's newly created world, Latveria, not as it was, but as he wished it to be. It is good that my tear ducts were seared away years ago. Doom does not shed tears. Wow, this place is awesome, Franklin enthuses. And we meet this world's Lancer, looking totally different in a semi piratical outfit that includes gauntlets and a sash and a sword. Franklin sees ponies and runs that direction. I made a promise to the boy, and Doom keeps his promises. And then he blasts Franklin and the ponies into oblivion. Lancer leads Doom into Latveria, and he's welcomed with praise and cheers, although that one soldier encouraging the crowd, yeah, that, that probably helps. Lancer confirms that all proceeded according to Doom's orders during his absence. The world is harmonious and content under the guidance of your book of laws. A copy is in every home in the world. And then... She introduces Doom to another person who missed him. Mother? I dared not hope. With all about me as I will it to be, still, I doubted I could restore you. But she doesn't recognize him. She doesn't recognize anything. Her soul is absent. And I know that it resides in hell. And he turns to his scientific advisors, including one Reed Richards, who Doom finds still arrogant, still defiant. It is upon your head this blame must fall. Even here you thwart my desires. See, Doom, he's always insightful. And by the way, all this time during this little monologue, Doom has been holding Reed, you know, by the neck. And then, dead. Dead. Then you may bear a message to my mother. Tell her I will have her away from the grasp of the damned. I will! Science did not hold the answer for Doom, but Doom is a master of more than the physical plane. Doom enters the dark realm, but finds, not so much as mother, but more like, eh, you know, Mephisto. A mystical incantation drives the demoniac away. You win for now, he says, departing Doom's presence, but eternity is ours. I know, I should have had Tim Price read that line. Even in his world, Doom remains alone, without his mother. Back overseeing his world, Lancer approaches, saying he appears troubled. Doom is troubled for one thing, She is not my Lancer. Blindly loyal, fearful, rather than willing, a shadow of the Lancer I knew. You are useless to me as a slave. But the experiment has not been without merit. It has given me a better taste of what might be. Doom decides to return to his home, to return to the True Viria via a teleportation gateway. Lancer... Doesn't understand, she can't understand. It is beyond your ability to grasp. How lonely is a god. Now by this point of the monologue, he should be teleporting. Again, he's thwarted. The problem must be on the other side. What calamity has befallen my beloved Latveria? So, he's going to have to take a more dangerous route to the prime earth. A pathway fraught with peril. Another portal is open in the Baxter building on my earth. I have only to reach it, to emerge in the lair of my enemies. Doom leaves Lancer behind, on planet Doom, this vapid monument to my vanity. Restored to your true nature. Doom may have use of you again, he tells her. A strange and dangerous reality lies between here and home. Doom says, referring to the Negative Zone. And on the last page, we see a pair of armored warrior types. These are Gornkai and Scout, who are the FF's allies in the Negative Zone, and Pity any who stand in the way of Doom to be Concluded. And the cover of Issue 3 shows a large statue of a seated doom. And yes, I do think we're supposed to think of the great liberator Abraham Lincoln. The base of the monument contains an inscription. V. Von Doom. A man. A leader. A monarch. The Emperor Returns, Part 3, starts with Doom in a swirling vortex of orange and pink and blue, facing a beast more than a mile long, with hundreds of teeth and a bunch of tentacles. And Doom makes a startling admission. The Negative Zone proves to be more of a challenge than even I imagined. But he has his priorities right and he releases his comatose mother, who of course he brought with him. He shoots her away from the ship. Though I be ensnared, mother will be free. Doom is consumed by the Negative Zone monster, and the two guardians, Hellscout and Gornkai, witness this. But they also notice the jettisoned pod. And then, of course, predictably... Doom blasts his way out of the beast. Mindless vermin, Doom means death to those who thwart his will, for no matter how brief a time. Hellscout has brought Doom's mother to his superiors at Pilgrim Rock, and they all do look kind of pilgrimish. Father Tyndale is confused about what has happened, seeing as the woman's soul is separated from her body. And then they see doom flying right at them. He cometh for the soulless crone, they say, displaying their ignorance and ageism. He brings us naught but death and destruction, they also say, displaying their insight and keen grasp of the obvious. He introduces himself politely upon arrival. I am doom. Be that thy name or be that thy nature? To you, I may be both. They all battle for a bit, and then after he mentions that it's his mother in the stasis field, they do try to have a chat. Doom explaining that he's been exiled to this place against his will, and that all he wants to do is reunite his mother's soul and body. That is what he wants to do. It's not really all that he wants to do. They end up agreeing to lend Doom a ship. But one of the members of the group, a blind seer, says that he knows that what Doom says are lies. The two of them have a brief chat, which ends with the seer passing out. Now, in his mercy, Doom did not kill the man, just disabled him. Because he's a hero. As the preparations are made, a little demon guy shows up, sort of like a Halloween costume, like red PJs and a pitchfork. This is, in fact, Franklin Richards or his avatar. Doom didn't really destroy him, but only a part of him. I'm like software, like a video game. And you absorbed me with the rest of the database on planet Doom. I'm in your armor system. You'd have to reboot to get rid of me. And that... Might kill us both. Doom sends a few reasonable bits of blasting at him, which Hell Scout doesn't take kindly to. It is not a child. It is a demon, an enemy of mine, one that takes many forms. But they don't buy that, especially when another version of Franklin explains that Doom really just wants to steal their ship, and then the little tyke starts to shut down Doom's defenses meaning that Hellscout's weapons begin to have an effect. Doom wisely engages in the time-honored war tradition of the strategic retreat, but Franklin, he gets, I mean, not just mean, but he goes low. Where are you running off to, Mr. Doom? Is your mommy calling you? Now look, That's a great line, Chuck Dixon. But it's still a horrible thing for Franklin to say. It is cold on many levels. Doom manages to get the ship, load his mommy onto it, and take off. But Franklin recovers. He can't get away from me. Doom's plan is to locate all the files in his database containing Franklin Richards slash exe, which is just short of two. Quadrillion files purge all files. I will not return to Earth with that virus in my system. But the Franklin construct, that virus, doesn't give up so easily. It'll take time for all the files to be deleted, Mr. Doom. And if that isn't enough evidence of the kid's just lack of respect, he adds, You're a bad guy, like Daddy and Uncle Benji say. Franklin talks more about deleting files, pointing out that Doom's mother would not survive the reboot. But he also tells the adult in the room, whom he should really have a lot more respect for, he says, she's not your mommy. She's no more real than I am. They fight, they tussle, they argue, and then... Files purged. No. No. Mother. Mother lost again. But he survives the fight, and then he just drifts and drifts. Until? Negative zone portal breached. For weeks. Months. In the harshness of the negative zone. But inevitably, as all things must, then we get to the last page of the issue of the series. This universe yields to doom in the heart of my greatest enemy's lair. Doom is home. The end. So, what did I think of this miniseries? You know, it's interesting that the purpose of the story from Marvel's publishing perspective and in terms of what has to happen here It's actually very small. After the big Marvel events we talked about earlier, everyone is back on the right Earth. Everyone except for Victor. So Chuck Dixon has to get Doom back home. I just assume that those were his marching orders. And given that sort of small, one-sentence assignment, he produced a series with an epic scope and some legitimately big moments. But before I get too far down the road, talking about story and plot and scripting, I do want to talk about a few bits of the art. And first, we have to start with Doom's design, because it is distinctive here. In this series, the eye holes and mouth hole of the mask are much larger than they are in the standard armor. And you can see a lot of skin around his eyes and his mouth. And that skin is pretty Messed up, pretty scarred. And I think that more or less, I like that. It does humanize the character, which is positive, and, and that certainly is one of the points of this miniseries. But it certainly is a different choice. Uh, that element, that, that artistic bit, is definitely non-standard. Now, of the Doom sketches that I've had done over the years, which I started at Heroes Con, it's interesting to see how the different artists dealt with the metal mask and how much you see under the mask, uh, especially around the eyes. It's one place where artists get a chance to display their own style, put their own spin on the design. You know, the cloak is pretty iconic, the colors you don't really mess with, the armor, the arms and legs, that's pretty consistent. But the mask, the mask seems to be the place where the artist can flex their muscles, to some extent, do their own thing, or at least put their own unique twist on the design. And I will comment on one element of this briefly, and that is we see Doom's skin, and the skin tone does range a bit from issue to issue, from cover to cover. It can be peach or pink, and it also can be a darker, uh, more tan, uh, olive uh, skin tone, which I think is probably the best choice, given the ethnic heritage as as usually presented for the character. But seeing little bits of skin under a mask with shadows and all, you really can't read too much uh, into that, I think. But in terms of art and design, I do want to talk about Lancer's outfit, or we should say outfits. Because at the beginning, in Franklin's world, she's wearing a halter top and tight Low slung pants, sort of standard pop culture dystopian female attire. Doom doesn't even comment on that; he barely notices it. There's no risk of a #MeToo moment with Doc Doom. He's respectful. As a matter of fact, when Franklin's world is destroyed and Doom creates his own version, uh, Doom World 2.0, she is fully. Clothed, pants and high boots, a chest plate, long sleeves, gauntlets, a high collar, a sash, a big belt, and a Roman centurion-style helmet. Uh, She's holding that in her hand. Think a centurion, with a splash of pirate style. Although he likes the free will loyalty of the O.G. Lancer more than the sort of enslaved one here. But my point is that again. In Doom's perfect virtual fantasy world, the woman working closest to him, the only person close to him, is an attractive female, but very, very far away from sexualized. In this world, this virtual world of his creation, she shows about as much skin as he does. Again, there's no hashtag MeToo moment here. Doom has a lot of power, and he doesn't ever use it in a Harvey Weinstein manner. He doesn't even go Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, certainly not JFK or Bill Clinton. There's nary a hint of it. Again, respectful. And not to compare this to the Odyssey, or not to compare Chuck Dixon to that hack Homer, this, it's a simple story. It's a story of homecoming. I mean, it was probably literally a one-sentence assignment uh, for Dixon. Get Doom home. Three words, maybe. But like the Odyssey, the, the secret is not just that simple plot. Hero goes home. The key is what happens along the way. And what happens along the way here is interesting, perhaps a little dated. But the character bits, the action scenes, the settings, all of that drama, make for the short bit of plot. They make it worthwhile. As I've talked about in the Doom 2099 episodes of The Quarterbin, that series had a number of issues that took place in cyberspace, in a virtual reality world, and they didn't work all that great. They certainly didn't advance the plot much. And looking back 25 years or so later, they seem pretty dated. And we have a similar basic premise here, but the art in this one was better. And the overall big-picture aspect of the world, or or, or the different worlds, really helped. And actually, like the Odyssey, where we move from location to location to location, these three issues take place in three different locations. Issue one takes place on Counter-Earth. Franklin Richards uh, is his constructed world. Issue two takes place on Doom's recreation of that uh, Doom world. With a little trip to that world's version of hell, I guess. And then issue three takes place in the negative zone. Each one used the same structure where the last page changes the location and sets up what's going to happen in the next issue. And even that, the last issue followed that template with him finally getting back to the real Earth on that victorious last page. But obviously, the true theme of this series, what Chuck Dixon is really getting at, the story he's really telling here, it's a tale of two parenting styles, tale of two children. And in that classic debate between nurture and nature, this miniseries clearly and fully comes down on the side of nurture being a critical component of human development. On one hand, you have Franklin Richards being raised by absentee parents and, let's say, a strange choice as a primary child care provider. And we have, in Franklin, the results of those disastrous choices. He's impolite. Mr. Doom, the victim of brainwashing, or, or perhaps more precisely Stockholm Syndrome, saying that Doom is a bad guy, just like Reed and Ben say, Come on! Those guys, those two, you believe their judgment and intelligence? You got the angriest guy on the planet and a distant spouse? Come on, Franklin. Get some better role models, man. And then you have Doom, a man who loves his mommy very, very much. You've heard the phrase, I'd go to the ends of the earth for that person. Doom does that and more because he's a good son, a good boy, and a good man, a good leader, and a good emperor. And on that thematic bit, that critical element of the miniseries, Dixon nails it! Very enjoyable read, highly recommended. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but at this point in time, I am let's say, uncertain about the future of the ongoing. The next issue is supposed to come out in early September, but with all the changes and delays and reschedules, you just never know. Big Comic was willing to institute a global pandemic to keep that issue off the shelves. There's no telling how low they'll sink to keep it out of our hands. But fear not, Relatively Geeky will continue to be your number one source for true, unvarnished, leaning-in coverage of the great and mighty doom. I do anticipate an August episode covering some other epic tale from somewhere in the epic history of our epic hero. If you have any feedback on this episode, on these issues on the trauma of not having new issues of the ongoing to read, or anything related to The Good Doctor, don't hesitate to contact me. You can do that via email, relativelygeeky, at gmail.com, or as a comment on the Facebook or blog post for this episode. The blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. And Hail Doom! Hail, hail, hail Doom! Hail, hail, hail Doom! Hail, 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 doom!